Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Nectar, Sex, and Soul. I'm your host, Soraya Leonora, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach. This is a chance for us to get intimate, to reach far into the mystical, magical, erotic, tender, inspiring, vital, primordial depths of what it is to be human, what it is to express and inhabit these amazing bodies fully, and what it is to make love to the divine in everything we do. We'll be penetrating deeply into the nectar of what it is to be alive and turned on by life, how to transmute pain and hardship into pleasure and medicine, how to embody the union of polarities, including sex and spirit, and how to love every piece of ourselves wholeheartedly. This is a space where we don't just talk about the act of sex, but rather how sexual energy permeates every area of our lives as the seed of creation and the source from which we all came. Exploring sexuality in this way not only takes our sex lives to the next level, but is a catalyst for a life that turns us on in each and every moment, not just in the bedroom. Within you stirs a sexual vitality that is capable of so much more than you could possibly imagine. This is what we explore on Nectar, Sex, and Soul. Thanks for coming to play. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nectar, Sex, and Soul. I'm your host, Soraya Leonara. You'll have to excuse me. I've got a little bit of a scratchy, stuffy voice again today. I'm dealing with some allergies, but hopefully you can hear me okay. I am super excited to have an amazing guest on here today. This is somebody who I've known for quite some time and haven't gotten the chance to drop in with for a while. So I'm super excited to drop in with her. Her name is Alicia Payne and she's a non-monogamy coach and she has such an incredible grounded approach to the whole realm of non-monogamy that I just really relate with and appreciate. And I love the way that she breaks things down and isn't afraid to explore all the juicy topics related to it. And one of the reasons I wanted to have Alicia talking about non-monogamy today is because I get asked a lot of questions about like, what's better, monogamy or, or non-monogamy? And to me personally, I think it's a very personal choice. I don't think there's one size fits all approach for everyone. But I do think that most people are very conditioned uh, to be monogamous, and sometimes that's not the best fit for them. Sometimes people don't know they have other options. And I also think there's just a lot of kind of misunderstandings, misconceptions around what non-monogamy entails. I think a lot of people can dismiss it as not wanting to, to do the work or be committed or just being promiscuous. And then I think a lot of people can dismiss monogamy as being repressed or being stuck in a box. And, and really, I think that both of them have such uh, valuable insights that they can offer us into ourselves and in relationship. And from my perspective, I see that so many of the skill sets and core values required for healthy relationship are the same in both monogamy and non-monogamy. And so that's that's something I'm excited to get into with Alicia today. Um, I think, you know, as far as really awesome, clear communication, honesty, trust, integrity, these are all really important things, no matter what style of relationship we have. And in non-monogamy, you've got to do it with more people. And there's probably a lot more communication going on, especially as it relates to uh, safe sex and, and things like this. And so I'm just super excited to pick Alicia's brain today and soak up her wisdom on this topic. I really recommend that anybody listens to this, regardless of your relationship status, your relationship style, because I do think that there's going to be such a wealth of information here that can apply to all relationship types. So Alicia, thank you so much for being here today. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I would love to just give you space to introduce yourself and speak to you a little bit about what you do. Sure, thank you. Oh, I'm excited. That was a really good introduction. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> um, you're totally right. Like, on all of those things, it doesn't matter your relationship style. You still have to have the same skills and tools, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a non-monogamy coach. I work with individuals, couples, triads, quads, you know, whatever format the, the relationships take in just building more intentional relationships that work for the people that are in them. It's really what it comes down to. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I 
I love that. And yeah, I think it's, it's so interesting because, you know, I hear from a lot of people like, oh, you know, non-monogamy is just going to bring drama. It's just going to cause people to break up or, or whatever, but it's like any style of relationship can lead to drama, jealousy, miscommunications, breakups, like any of those things are possible, no matter what our relating style is. And I think a lot of times people blame opening a relationship for breakups, but I think often in that case, the breakup probably would have happened anyway, either through somebody feeling repressed, somebody cheating, or just deciding it's not a good fit. Mm. So I think it's, it's really awesome to look at this with curiosity and from different angles and really feel into what, what relationship style works best for each person and recognizing that any relationship style is going to take work. It's going to require that we push our edges and be willing to grow and to be humble. And ultimately, whatever relationship style we have, we're going to learn so much. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know kind of when did you realize that this was the relationship style that fit best for you that you wanted to commit your life to? That's great. So I was, you know, spent my whole life monogamous in the sense of not the, the old version of monogamous that was married to one person for life. Right. And had sex with one person for life, but the newer version of monogamy, that's just one person at a time. <laughs> and that's such um, a great point. Right. It's really like most people are more like serial monogamists. Yes, totally. Totally. I mean, I was, um, and then I got married and I was married for 13 years. And, um, when that relationship came to an end, for lots of reasons, I decided I didn't want to be monogamous again. Like I was 35. I had two kids. I had a house. I was like, I don't want to like spend a bunch of time looking for the next, the one, and then spend another 13 years with that person. And then be in my fifties looking for new people. Like I was like, that's ridiculous. I want to have sex with lots of people. Um, <laughs> so I started dating and I was like, I didn't know anybody who was polyamorous. I didn't know anybody who was ethically non-monogamous in any way. So I didn't have any sort of like guidance or framework. I just thought, well, I'll be a slut and be honest about it. Like that works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then I fell in love again and <laughs> my, my partner who I later married was non-monogamous and he's like, oh yeah, I'm polyamorous. You know, I'm dating these other people. There's this whole world that you could explore. And so, so it, it carried on from there. <laughs> wow. I love that. And was was that an edge for you to, to really find somebody that was willing to go there and to do that together? Yes. Um, it was more like just a thing I didn't know was possible. Right. Yeah. And then, um, no, the edge was then falling in love mm. and battling mm -hmm. all of my jealousy and possessiveness and all of my kind of baked in ideas about what being in love with someone meant and how it meant that they would show up and what it meant about my value to them. Mm, wow. so that was the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a huge edge. And I think I'm sure, I'm sure that this journey has led to a lot of deconditioning and just mm -hmm. unpacking, like, where do I get these ideas from about what love is, about what relationship is? We're so deeply steeped in monogamous programming. And I think for a lot of people, they don't know there's other options. And so they end up like cheating or not being able to commit. And what a relief to find like, oh, there's, there's a whole community of people who can actually do this authentically in integrity and in a really fulfilling way who want to be in this together. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So much. I mean, so much of our belief systems are just things that are taught to us, right? They aren't, they don't, we're not born with these ideas about monogamy or non-monogamy or these ideas about love or, you know, how, you know, what it means, does our partner love us or not love us based on who they're smashing genitals with? Like we aren't <laughs> born with that. That's all stuff we're taught. Totally. And it can get so deep into our system. It can, it can be such a visceral response to mm. navigate these belief systems and figure out like what's ours versus what's, what's deeply conditioned. And I'm curious for you, what, what were some of your biggest breakthroughs in being able to start rewiring some of those belief systems and really get curious around what you needed to be open to and shift in order for you to be open and receptive to your partner's love without getting swallowed whole by the jealousy or, you know, 
letting it trigger you in ways that made the the dynamic not worth it. Yeah. Uh, well, I was swallowed whole a lot, <laughs> a whole lot. Um, I, I have always been a very jealous and possessive person. I just knew that um, those, those traits didn't serve me. They didn't make mm. my life better in any way. So I was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta unwind some of this. So that was, that was the biggest thing, you know, knowing that my partner was having sex with other people, I, I was able to work through that. Like that wasn't a thing that like set me like, like occasionally it would set me off, but, but not always, but really um, the, the idea of polyamory and that he could love someone else and still love me. That was like, it was so hard to, mm. you know, I could logically grasp it. I could, I could think it through and look at other people and go, well, obviously like I've fallen in love so many times in my life. Of course you love multiple people. I mean, we just, in, in our culture, just exchange them usually. Right. But we fall in love over and over. So I could look at it logically and be like, yeah, of course. But then when I was sitting in it, I was like, Oh, oh my God, I'm no longer valuable. I'm no longer loved. I'm being abandoned. Why are you hurting me? You know, this hurts me. Why are you hurting me? You know? And he'd be like, well, okay, should we close our relationship? I'm like, no, I don't want that. I told you from the <laughs> beginning. I didn't want, like, I, I still want to do the things I want to do. Right. I just don't want you to do the things <laughs> you want to do, which is a really unloving. So like, keep doing what you're going to do and I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh my God, love. I so relate. I so relate. So how, how do we work through that double standard? Cause I feel like so many people are like, yes, polyamory sounds great in theory. And then in practice, it's like this whole other monster. And that's, that's for sure been my experience too, of like, you know, it, it sounds great to have that freedom ourselves. And then when it comes to how do we really show up to hold that space for our lover, um, it can be a mm. whole different story. So how, how do you work through that kind of double standard and, and being able to hold that space? I mean, there's so many things, right? Because everybody's experience is individual and, and unique, but um, some, some of the main things are one, doing the logical thing and breaking down like what your beliefs really are, you know, what, mm -hmm. what's, what's really underneath all of that. One experience that was really profound for me, I, I have two partners that I live with and they're lovers as well. And uh, the three of us have a triad. And I remember if I would come home and the two of them were like in bed, they know I'm coming home, you know, and I, I would just, I, my stomach would drop. My body would go cold. I would like, I was so activated and like, just wanted to run away. Um, mm. you know, why are you guys doing this? You know, I was coming home. They're like, yeah, we knew you were coming home. Like we figure you just join us. Like it's just so obvious. But for me, it was like, I felt like I wasn't wanted. I wasn't desired. Like you guys were just waiting until I was gone because you don't actually want me there. And when I really dug into it, it was the exact same feeling, the same sensations in my body as when I was like an 11 year old girl and all my girlfriends had a slumber party without me. Mm. Right. Like I wasn't invited to the party. All the, my, all of my best friends and it like, I wasn't wanted there. I wasn't, you know, I had all these stories and it was the same thing. So here I am playing out this wound from being 11 years old at fucking 40 years old, like the same exact thing happening. So I, I really think it's important to like dig deeper beyond like what your partner is doing in the moment, but like, what, what is this activating in you? What fear, what hurt, what wound is being like pressed on, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like what stories are we making about the sensation we're feeling? Yeah. <clears throat> and that's, that's so important in any relationship we have with mm -hmm. anyone, because we all have this like childhood stuff that gets triggered and we can be projecting these deep old wounds onto the present situation. And usually if, if we feel like we're overreacting to something, it's usually because it's coming from something more deeply rooted rather than the actual situation itself. And so I love that, like getting really curious about where is this coming from? And, and can I be with that inner child? Can I be with that part of myself that has these stories that I'm unlovable or I'm unwanted and actually face this current situation for what it is right now with these two people who love me and who just figured I would join when I came home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing I think that's really important is, um, is, is knowing and understanding like attachment styles. Mm -hmm. You know, like what, what are the ways that we show up in relationships that are different from our partners, you know, cause we kind of, I think all of us do this. We, we move through the world expecting that everyone else sees it the same way we do and that they're going to behave the same way we expect them to, because, you know, we, we grow up with this set of expectations. We have this very small world when we're children 
and we think everybody behaves like our family of origin or, or whatever our um, community is at the time. And, um, and then we move through the rest of our lives expecting everyone to act like that. And so yes. um, getting some insight into that can be super, super helpful. I love that you spoke to that. That's, that's so huge because we all do operate in such different ways. We come from different cultures, different family dynamics. Um, even things like astrology and human design have been super helpful for me navigating differences in my own relationships, as well as helping clients do that as well, because we're all just designed really differently. We all navigate things really differently. And that's so key to understand because, you know, we all grew up learning the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, but there's also the platinum rule of treat others how they want to be treated. And sometimes we want different things. Sometimes like the way that we would do something where we're like, well, obviously if they loved me, they would respond in this way or they would have thought to do this. And it's like, no, maybe not. They, they might have a totally different way of showing love, or that might've not even been on their radar. And it doesn't mean that you're wrong for wanting that, but we have to get on the same page and teach each other our, our love languages and, the, and our attachment styles and the wounds that, that come up so we can learn how to navigate those together. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I, I love about uh, your approach to this work, Alicia, is that you have gone so deep into the throes of jealousy and doing that work on yourself and navigating that. And I think um, some of the non-monogamous people I know are kind of more of those people that don't really have a jealous bone in their body. I think that's that's more rare. Um, I, I think that's very rare, but like I do know people that are like, yeah, you know, it just doesn't really bother me. And I think that that kind of makes it feel almost like a very intimidating off-limits realm for people who do struggle with jealousy and who have insecurities and comparison um, issues and things like this. And so I, I love that you've gone through the personal experience and have the embodied wisdom of what it is to do this work, even being somebody who has by nature been very jealous and possessive. So I would, I would just love to hear you speak more to that of like, how do you navigate jealousy? Like, how do you deal with that in a way that doesn't let it completely destroy your relationships? Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Um, you know, it's funny when people say that they don't experience jealousy, I just think one, I think that maybe they don't experience it in the way that it's portrayed in like media like or like it has to be this all-consuming thing that has to change your life, right? right? Like like you can be scared of the dark but never feel that fear if you're not in the dark. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. you don't feel jealousy until you are confronted with a thing that activates jealousy. <laughs> sure, which is different for each person. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm. The first thing is acknowledging it, Mm. right? Like we have this social kind of narrative about jealousy, that it's bad, that it's wrong, that it, if you are feeling jealous, then somebody is doing something bad to you Mm. Mm -hmm. or you're toxic and doing something wrong, Mm. right? Like either your partner has been bad and needs to stop what they're doing so that you don't feel jealous, or Mm -hmm. you're a toxic person who's feeling jealousy for no reason. Like those are the two big stories we have about jealousy and jealousy is just an emotion. It's actually an amalgamation of emotions, right? Some Mm -hmm. anger, some sadness, some fear, you know, it's all of these feelings kind of rolled up into a big ball. That's really fucking uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah but it's not a bad thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's an emotion, just like all the other ones that gives you a message. Hey, there's something to pay attention to here. I love that. I love that. And I, that's, that's something that I <clears throat> work on a lot with clients is embracing every emotion. Cause it's, it's always mm-hmm. there to teach us something, right? It's like mm-hmm. jealousy. Yeah. Jealousy isn't, isn't like this, um, devil that needs to be cast away. It's like, it's often a hurt child. It's like, I'm scared. I'm going to be abandoned. I'm scared. I'm not good enough. I'm worried I'm going to be left for someone else. And if we can bring that in with love and listen to what it has to say, rather than trying to stuff it down, it's like anything that we try to stuff down and avoid and pretend we're not dealing with is just going to get way louder. It's going to start acting out. So I love that. Just like at first acknowledging it and like even owning that, I think that even pulls it out of the shadows and the shame of just owning like, Hey, I'm feeling really jealous right now. And letting that be witnessed, I think could probably go a really long way. I love that you use the word shame because that's it. Like there's this, there is this like sense of shame. Like I, especially in non-monogamy, right. Mm -hmm. I look at my partner and go, I told you I was okay with you doing this thing. 
I told you it was okay and I would be fine. Like I am on board. I, I supported it. And now I feel really bad things in my body. I feel really jealous. I feel really scared, really insecure. I feel like you're abandoning me or leaving me, or maybe you don't love me anymore. And I feel so much shame because I, it sounds like I'm changing my mind or I'm accusing you of doing something wrong, even though I told you to do the thing. And so kind of, you got to remove the shame from it. Like it's just an emotion mm-hmm. and you can just express the emotion without it being an attack or uh, a judgment or even a decision, right? It's just an emotion. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing is acknowledging it, sitting with it, playing with it, digging into it, figuring out what's below it. Yeah. Wow. Are there... Are there things that jealousy has taught you about yourself and, and helped you to heal? Like, have you been able to work with that wound in a way where you're like able to tap into deeper self-love, deeper self-worth, not needing as much external validation? Like how has that contributed to your relationship with yourself? Yes. All of it. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, all of those things, like, like finding the places where I was, have been wounded in my life, in different relationships, mm-hmm. in my childhood and friendships that come bubbling up, but um, also learning to trust my intuition and trust myself, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of times jealousy, either we go, I'm overreacting. This isn't a real thing. You know, I, I can't trust what my body's saying, mm-hmm. or we go, I, I, I have this feeling that something is bad and wrong. And I'm just going with it, even if it's not right. And so like mm-hmm. being able to, to trust what your body is telling you and trust your intuition and, and trust your feelings about things. Um, that's probably been the biggest piece of it <clears throat> is, is <clears throat> learning what, learning what those signals are telling me. Yeah. It sounds like an incredible amount of discernment and self-inquiry yeah. is, is required and like For taking sure. that space to go through your emotional process and to let the body express all the different layers of it. And wow. Yeah. It's, it's deep, powerful work. And the other thing that comes to mind in hearing you talk about that of, of jealousy being either like something is being done to me or I'm doing something wrong by reacting in this way. It's very connected to the drama triangle of the victim, the rescuer, and the persecutor, um, and and shifting into that empowerment triangle of the creator, the challenger, and the coach. I think is is such a powerful shift in navigating that. And I I work on that um, with so many couples in monogamous relationship, and I can see how that would just be like even more foundational in a polyamorous relationship because it can be so easy to judge people's intentions based upon our wounds to filter what other people are doing. Yeah. Through the lens of our own wounds and through that victim mentality or um, the persecutor mentality of like, you're doing this. And if we can shift instead into that place of curiosity and compassion and just, just seek clarity and, and creative solutions around like, how can we navigate these emotions together? I, I think it can go a really long way in, in any style of relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, one of the things that come to, comes to mind for me is um, for a lot of people who are in non-monogamous relationships, mm-hmm. there's this kind of like this idea that, you know, if, if you're feeling jealous, that's something you need to work on. And I, I think it's really important that when people are dealing with their jealousy, that they are actually in a healthy relationship, right? Because it can be, if you're in an unhealthy relationship that actually is like, uh, manipulative or abusive, it can mm-hmm. be jealousy can be used to gaslight the fuck out of you. And you can start gaslighting mm-hmm. yourself. I think that that's a really important piece to acknowledge because it happens all the time. Right. Yeah. And so we start, that's where we like start second guessing ourselves. Like, am I actually seeing a, like, is what I'm experiencing a real problem or is this a, an internal uh, insecurity that I have? Am I comparing myself to other people or am I actually like in a shitty situation? <laughs> Right. Right. Wow. Just another layer of really deep discernment that's required. Yeah. And I can imagine that that could just get so messy if you're in the, the wrong dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it all comes back to like a lot of self-healing, a lot of self-work, a lot of introspection and, and finding ways to really love yourself. And I mean, if not love yourself, at least come to neutral, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. 
I love that. So yeah, it feels like, it feels like there's such a portal of deep self-work and self-awareness that can come through this, this way of relating. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's already the case in any style of relationship, but then when you multiply it with different people and you're navigating this web and you've got more potential for jealousy in the mix, just lots of opportunities to dig deeper into yourself and, mm-hmm. and to know yourself mm-hmm. more deeply. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I love that. What do you think are like some of the most challenging pieces of being able to navigate that territory of of non-monogamy? Well, like aside from jealousy, is there anything else that you find is particularly challenging and takes some practice? Yeah. Open communication. I almost want to eliminate the word communication from my (laughs) vocabulary because <laughs> it's such a like a key word in relationships and people always always come to me and say like, oh, our, our, we have a communication issue or we have really good communication. We talk all the time, but usually about the same things over and over and over and we're still not hearing each other, <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Wow. But um, open dialogue about desires, about boundaries, so much of our relationship culture is, um, that love equals self-sacrifice. You have to give mm-hmm. up what you want so that you're the person you love can have what they want, you know, cause that's so loving. So, so a lot of times what we do is kind of edit what we say, especially if you're in a long-term relationship, right? Like I already know mm-hmm. what my partner's, how my part, I already assume I know how my partner's going to respond if I say mm-hmm. this thing. So I'm just going to change it a little bit to be more palatable for them or to be more in line with what I think they want rather than Mm. being really authentic to what I want. So I think a lot of times what the other piece of that is that we don't ask for all the things that we want because we think that having the dialogue, having the, the, the conversation means that we're making a decision and we have to do the thing or they have to give us what we want or we have to give them what they want. And then and then we, we decide for them. We have the conversation in our head for them and, and decide what they're going to give us. And so we dial back what we say we want. And then later we're a little bit resentful because what we really wanted was a red pair of shoes, but we know they don't like the color red. So we settled for a blue pair in the same style. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> rather than just openly sharing from the heart, this is, these are the things I want. It doesn't mean you have to have all the things but like, let's talk about them. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I always say compromise is total bullshit. Like everyone's yeah. like relationship is all about compromise, but compromise, compromise means neither person gets what they want or one person does and the other person doesn't. And when we hear somebody's immune system is compromised, we're not like, oh, great. Awesome. Good work. Like, we're like, oh, that sucks. Like that's sad to hear, you know? And so I, I don't see compromise as this, basis of a healthy relationship, like we're so conditioned to believe, I I believe a lot more in harmonizing and finding that sweet spot where we both align. And so, you know, musically speaking, maybe one person is singing up here, another person singing a bit lower, and we're trying to find that sweet spot of resonance. And and each of us have to kind of adjust to find that spot, but nobody is like bending over backwards or hurting themselves to find that point. There's maybe we're stretching, we're pushing our edges, which we're growing through, but neither person is, is sacrificing or giving up what they want. And I think that's, that's so important in any style of relationship. And I think um, in monogamy, that can be a lot more challenging because if, if you're committed to only sharing intimacy with one person and people have very different desires or, you know, they're like, you can't fill all of my cups, which it's very rare, if not impossible, that anybody can fill all of our cups. And so I think that can get really tricky around like, how, how do we make sure both of our needs are met within a monogamous relationship without either person feeling like they have to compromise if we have very different desires or things that one person wants that like really turns the other person off. Mm, yes. Yes. I love mm-hmm. that. I love the analogy to music and harmonizing. That's so fucking good. Oh my goodness. Mm. I love that. <laughs> It's, it's a really, really helpful one. Yeah. yeah. I see that uh, kind of make the light, light bulb go off for a lot of my clients. And so, yeah, yeah just working to find the sweet spot together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so good. So good. And it's, I love what you said about like, yeah, maybe communication isn't the right word, but it, maybe it's more like radical transparency and honesty. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, can, can I have the courage to really go there with you and not assume anything and just put it on the table and let's get really curious together? Yes, absolutely. It's so important. So important. Mm. So yeah, for couples, for couples that are wanting to open their relationship, what do you think are some really important pieces that need to be in place in order to navigate that well? Because I think sometimes people go zero to a hundred and it can kind of wreck them. Their nervous system doesn't have the capacity to take that on so quickly. So what would you recommend as some important steps for people who are wanting to explore that possibility together? Go slowly. Yes. Even slower than that. (laughs) Everyone thinks they're going slowly. (laughs) They're not. Slow the fuck down. The big one is to disentangle your relationship, right? Most monogamous couples do everything together or most of everything together. You know, Mm -hmm. their free time is assumed to be together. If they show up at a party, everyone without their partner, everyone goes, where's your partner? Right. (laughs) There's this like assumption that we will spend all, we will do all of our hobbies together. We'll, we will go to all of the social events together. Um, and, And like, why not? That's your person. It's the person you enjoy spending time with. You wouldn't be with them if you didn't. Right. Right. But it makes it really hard to then change your calendar, your, your time with each other, you know, your, your assumptions about how days off will go. It's really hard. If all of a sudden you're starting to do that with other people, right. From like doing everything together to now I'm doing some of those things with another person or several other people that Mm. can hit on so many I mean, one, just, just from a, like a, a practical scheduling aspect, like who's in charge of the calendar, who's in charge of the social calendar, you know, things like that, it, it can impact mm-hmm. that, but also it all of a sudden can start to feel for one or, or both people. Like, why don't you like hanging out with me anymore? You would rather do this with this new shiny person and then starts hitting on in- insecurities. So I think mm-hmm. it's really important. Start going out by yourself, go take yourself out to dinner, go to the movies by yourself go just do things separate from your partner. This also adds a lot of, a lot of polarity into the relationship. You know, you then now you, now you have things to talk about that you didn't do together. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I think that's so important in a monogamous relationship too. And so I think for any relationship, taking that time to yourself. And then if you haven't been doing that, that seems like a very necessary stepping stone to starting to bring other people into the mix. Mm -hmm. So important. And then go slow, go so slow, yeah. right? Um, a lot of people open up because of, I, I mean, not all, some of them it's because of emotional desires. Many of them it's because of sexual desires and we get really excited and think like, okay, we're open now. Uh, I've had people tell me like, okay, we've just, we decided last weekend to open our relationship. So I'm going to go have sex with someone new tonight. What? <laughs> no, like maybe hug someone new. Maybe give them a kiss, like, and then come back and go, how do we feel now? Reassess, reevaluate, come back together, talk about the things and then, and then move on to the next step. Let's not like go from monogamous to orgies. Yes. Instantly. Like, let's not do that. Slow down. (laughs) Slow the fuck down is my advice for almost everything. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important. I love that you said like even slower than you think you need to go because Mm again, like some of these things sound so great in theory, and we don't know how our nervous system is going to respond to them in practice. And having that home base that we come back to, to check in, how is this feeling and and reassuring each other? Like, Hey, we still love each other. I'm still here with you. Even though we are opening these new doors, this is still has a strong foundation that we're going to continue watering and putting love into rather than getting swept away by the new relationship energy in a way that makes each other feel like old news. Yes, absolutely. And then the other thing I would say is, is community have support, Mm. right? If you're hiding this thing, which like, I'm not saying go tell your parents and your, your boss that you're trying this new thing, but find someone, find a coach, find someone else who's not successfully (laughs) non-monogamous, find Mm -hmm. a Facebook group, find some sort of community where you see how other people are doing it, what they're navigating, what troubles they're running into and how they're navigating that, what advice are are other people giving them. This will also take out some of the shame, right? Yeah. Like if you are coming from a uh, 
monogamous mindset upbringing. A lot of us grow up very conservatively. There can be a lot mm -hmm. of shame around sexuality, especially non-monogamous sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, and so seeing that like, you're not this freak who wants to do a weird thing that nobody else is doing, find community, some sort of support that isn't your monogamous best friend. <laughs> That's really, really good advice. It reminds me of a book that I've mentioned several times on this podcast already called The Spirit of Intimacy. Mm. And um, it's it's about the Dagara tribe in West Africa, but they, they talk about relationship needs to happen within the context of community. Otherwise you can get like isolated in this weird couple bubble where things are like out of context and you don't have support. And they actually view it as, as kind of insane that we do relationship in these very isolated ways in the West. And they see the community's involvements in a relationship as such a, a healthy, vital piece. And also that the relationship is an important part of the community. Uh, I need to read this book. Thank you for that. It's because so it's good. So true. This is so, so, so true. There's nothing worse than feeling isolated and jealous and ashamed, all rolled up in, and, and, and abandoned, you know, like having all of these <laughs> feelings all rolled up into one and like nowhere to turn. Like it's the worst feeling. It really is like, like put support structures into place before you're in crisis. Absolutely. That is really solid advice. Thank you. What about for, <laughs> what about for people who want to open their relationship um, to kind of like to fix a problem? Like people who are like, oh, our sex life isn't working so great. Let's open the relationship. How, how have you seen that go? So usually whatever problem it is that they think they're trying to fix, that's not the problem. Mm hmm. <laughs> and it well doesn't <laughs> work. <laughs> right. Um, if it's a, uh, our sex life isn't great. Usually there's something else going on there. We aren't getting vulnerable and intimate with each other anymore. We mm -hmm. have a lot of resentment in our relationship. Therefore we don't want to touch each other intimately. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, um, the last thing we touch before bed is our phone instead of our partner. Yes. Right. Like these are the things that are happening and somebody in the relationship's going, but I really want more sex. So mm -hmm. let's go have sex with other people. Everything else about our relationship's great. I like our house. I like our family when we're raising our kids together. Um, <laughs> so let's just go have sex with other people and everything will be great. And then they do that <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, I'm still feeling all of this resentment and anger. And I'm still mad at you because of X, Y, Z, and you're still not touching me. And why are we even together anymore? And now all of a sudden I feel abandoned and like, you don't love me and just so many things, right? So opening a relationship to fix a problem will shine a big fat spotlight on whatever problems are underneath the problem you think you have. Yes. <laughs> so well said. Cause you're just slapping a bandaid on something rather than getting to the root. Yeah. Like you said, like what you think is the problem. It's, it's probably more of a symptom rather than, than the yes. actual root. Yes, and, and exactly. And then like pulling in these innocent bystanders where mm. you're treating other people like objects to fix your relationship. That's not going to feel good on, on that side of things either. Yeah. Yeah. These whole humans who have like their own <laughs> wounds and their own emotions and their own desires for being there. You're going to add all of that on top of it. It's like, what? This right. is too much. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be the band-aid to fix your other relationship problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that being said, it doesn't mean that it isn't a solution to some problems, right? Right. Like if there is a sexual incompatibility issue that you've gotten help with, gotten support mm -hmm. with, that you've really dug into and gotten really clear with each other on, or, you know, maybe there's a, a medical issue, mm -hmm. you know, like, like genuinely totally. one of us cannot do this. And the other one is a human who needs physical intimacy that I can't provide. Like and we've done a bunch of work to have a really solid foundation and we've moved really, really slowly and taken it one step at a time. Yeah. It, it can solve a lot of problems that, um, if you know what those problems really are. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so how do you navigate that? If somebody, if one person wants to be open and the other person doesn't, does that ever work? Or does that usually end up in a breakup? So in the swinger community, there's a big saying that says, never take one for the team. 
Mm. Right. And, and, and in that, in that realm, they're talking about like, don't have sex with someone that you're not into just because your partner is into their partner, or, you know, they want to have like a threesome with this person. If you're not into it, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if one person wants to open up and the other one doesn't one, keep talking about it. This isn't Mm -hmm. a, it's not a unilateral decision. There are relationships like, like where one person stays monogamous and the other one is non-monogamous that work, but for the most part, no, not so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I, I think, I think this might come down to either. Yeah. It's really exploring. Like, why is it that, that one person is committed to, to the monogamy? Like, what are the reasons? Why do you want that? What do you mm-hmm. get out of it? Um, and then the other person, the one who wants to open up, what are the reasons? What are you looking for? Are there other ways that you can get what you're looking for? Is it a thing that you need? Like, is this what, you, if you guys broke up and you went and got together with other people, is this a thing that you would need and hold to and, and be committed to as your relationship style? Or is it because you don't actually want to be in this relationship? Sometimes there's incompatibility in desires and you have to make a decision. Right. That's yeah. a really good differentiation. Like, is this something that you would want outside of this relationship too? And I think that is really hard because some people do have very incompatible desires that are just mm-hmm. hard to make it work where somebody's not going to feel stifled or somebody's not going to feel like they're pushing an unhealthy edge for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen that often. Um, it does, it does lead to breakup if one person really wants the openness and the other person doesn't. Um, but I, I've also heard of people where one stays monogamous and and the other opens. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on, do you think some people are like hardwired for monogamy versus non-monogamy? Do you think that's very fluid? Is it a choice? How do you, how do you see that? Mm, I love this, right? First of all, I, I, I think that it's both. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a spectrum. We are definitely hardwired in more one way or the other. But then you add in our upbringing, our attachment styles, our life experiences, our relationship experiences, circumstances of the moment, those all play a part, right? So I, I think romantically, I could be monogamous or polyamorous or non-monogamous. I could choose to be in any sort of that relation, those relationship styles as a choice and be totally happy. Sexually, I could not. I am non-monogamous sexually, 100% all the way. <laughs> but this is a thing it took a long time, 35 years to figure out about myself, <laughs> wow. right? So I think there is, is quite a bit of that that is just what is natural and authentic to us somewhere mm-hmm. on that spectrum between non-monogamy and monogamy. And then some of it's circumstantial and some of it's a choice. Yeah. yeah. There's no easy answer. (laughs) I love that you made the distinction too, between like romantically and sexually, because, you know, for some people, those things feel very inseparable. And for other people, they, they are capable of separating. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's important to look at that too, you know, like some people very drastically and what, what they are attracted to romantically versus sexually. And so, yeah, really awesome distinction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I genuinely was not sure if I, I was polyamorous, if I could be polyamorous. You know, I was in love with my husband. We got married and I watched him fall in love with three or four other people um, mm-hmm. before I ever found myself falling in love with another person, mm-hmm. right? So that there were several years where I went, I don't think I'm poly. I'm definitely not monogamous, but I don't think I'm polyamorous. Like I'm just in love with him mm-hmm. and nobody else has like scratched that, that heart for me, you know, and wow. then it happened and I went, Oh, now I get it. <laughs> mm. I understand. Yeah. I'm totally polyamorous. <laughs> wow. Well, kudos to you for being able to see it through and, and to not do the thing of taking one for the team where you're like, or, you know, the, the thing of like, Oh, well, my partner is falling in love with other people. So I better hurry up and try to do the same thing. Like trying to balance the scales. Cause I think that's another thing I see be very challenging for people is if one person is further along on that exploration path and the other person's kind of over here, like, wait a minute, but you're still my only one. And so I think being able to stay with that and be patient is challenging, but important. It really is. It really is. And, and, you know, I, I struggled with that for a couple of years when I was really just doing a lot of deep healing work and dealing, healing my, my, um, insecurities that led to a lot of jealousy. 
I could not simultaneously go and like date other people and go and do the things. The whole reason I wanted to be non-monogamous, I did not have the capacity to unwind my monogamous conditioning and like the guilt that came with going out with other people, the, oh my God, am I going to hurt my partner? Like all the feelings that came with that while also unwinding like the jealousy and the insecurities and like, what does, does my partner not love me anymore? Does, is, is, oh my God, that girl is way prettier than me. And I think he just has more fun with her and I should probably just get out of the way so they can be together. Like, you know, I couldn't hold both of those things at the same time. So I really did a lot of work on myself and like being okay with him being in love with other people and having sex with other people. I mean, I had sex with other people, but like <laughs> usually it was in a group setting. Um, and then, and then I, as I got more comfortable, then I was like, okay, I'm going to start dating now. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to like, and then it, that came with a whole other set of like new feelings to, to unwind and sift through and, and figure out. So, so I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up is like trying to manage all the things at once. You know, my, I'm dealing with like jealousy and guilt at the same time. And I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a lot. It just, it really speaks to the importance of taking it slowly and giving your yeah. nervous system that time to adapt. Yeah, totally. Totally. Oh my God. Well, I know we're about to run out of time. I have one more question. That's, that's probably a big one, but if you just want to say anything that comes yeah. to mind around it, some potent nugget, how does all of this fit in with family life? Cause this is a thing that I see a lot of people like freak out about, like, how is that going to work with the kids and the family? And I think that you've done that really successfully. So anything Thank you, you want to share? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My husband and I are raising three kids together and people ask all the time, well, what about the kids? And I look at them and I say, at what point do you sit down with your children and say, okay, it's time to have this conversation. Mom and dad are monogamous. We only sleep with each other. We only have <laughs> sex with each other. Like you never do that, right? Like <laughs> nobody does that. So why, like, why, why do people think that like who you're having sex with impacts the children? It doesn't. Don't be weird. <laughs> right? Like you aren't doing a morally or ethically wrong thing and setting a bad example. That's mm -hmm. not what's happening. You're living authentically to yourself and actually setting a good example. Yes. Yes. And the only reason they would think it was weird is because of their conditioning, but you are raising them in a different environment. Yeah. And I think, you know, people since the beginning of time, have raised children as a village where it yep. wasn't just mom and dad. It wasn't just a nuclear family. And so when people are like, oh, how do you do that with the kids? To me, I'm like, I could imagine that being much more supportive. It's like, you've got a bigger family. And to me, I can't stand the nuclear family system. I will not have children in a nuclear family. It doesn't make sense. Like I think having more support system and aunties and uncles and, and the whole deal is, is so important. So I yeah. think in some ways it's, it's kind of a revival of that more tribal way of raising children. Yes, absolutely. My children have, there's five adults in my house and that's not even including like our extended family. Um, you know, my parents, my siblings, our best friends, there's so many people that my children have to turn to. There's so many adults who are there to guide them and support them. There's people to pick up my kids from school if I can't. Like there's, there's just more people, more love, more opinions and um, perspectives to be shared with them. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Mm, wow. I love that. I love that so much. And Alicia, there's like a million more questions I could ask you. And I know we're out of time. So perhaps we'll have to have you on again sometime. Oh my God. Uh, I'd love that. <laughs> oh, I would love that too. And I would, I would love to just give you space to share. Where can people dive more deeply into your work? We're going to put your info in the show notes, but what do you have coming up that you want to share about? How can people go deeper with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm on Facebook as Alicia Payne and Instagram is Alicia Payne and my website is aliciapayne.com. And, <laughs> and I have a, a podcast called Nope, We're Not Monogamous, where I talk to all sorts of people who aren't monogamous and we share about all of our experiences and challenges and the way we move through things. Um, so it's a really, really lovely resource. And then um, I also have a program coming up that is um, all about conquering jealousy, like really diving deep into mm how to heal those wounds and how to communicate and how to set boundaries and how to just navigate all of 
all of the things that come along with jealousy and non-monogamy and have like really loving, deeply connected relationships. I love that so much. Thank you for doing the good work. I mean, this is, it's, it's powerful, necessary, uncomfortable work. And I think anyone can benefit from it. I think, like you said, most people get jealous in some way or another. And so incredible skills to have and uh, everyone go, go give her a follow, go check her out. If this conversation got you curious to learn more, check out her podcast. And thank you so much, Alicia, for being here. I would love to have you again sometime to dive deeper into some of these topics. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for doing the work and then being able to share it with all of us. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Mm, thank you so much all right everyone thank you so much for joining nectar sex and soul it's been such a pleasure to have you here today we'll see you next time ciao thank you so much for dropping into nectar sex and soul with me today it's been a pleasure to connect with you if this episode lit you up or illuminated something impactful for you in some way i invite you to subscribe leave a review and share it with someone you feel would love to hear it to learn more about my work, check out SoreyaLeonara.com, sign up for my newsletter, and follow me on Instagram and YouTube, where I share tons of free content, special offers, and ensure you're the first to know about my new offerings. I offer private coaching, as well as courses, workshops, and retreats, so be sure to stay in touch if you'd like to go deeper together. Thank you, loves. Have a gorgeous day. Ciao.